Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com code SUMMER. Yo, technology, what is it all about? And then there's this like new startup age in aviation yeah. that we haven't really seen before, right? It's hit almost every other industry, but there's not like a lot of startup aerospace companies. Yeah. And so now here's a chance to do that. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I'm your host, Danny Fortson, the West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times. How are you all? Guys, I'm just days away from holiday. Days. Very soon, I'll be sitting poolside drinking some rum-based concoction, I hope. So I will be off next week, but that does not mean there will not be a show. In fact, we have a fabulous one coming for you next week. And all I will say is that it will blow your mind. Literally. That's a hint. But I will say no more. And anyhow, this week, we are talking about something else entirely. Air taxis. That's right. Flying cars. So, longtime listeners will know that this is an area of fascination for me. We've had Mark Moron uh, a couple years back. He ran Uber Elevate, which was their air taxi kind of division that Uber later got rid of. We had Daniel Weigand, who's the founder of Lilium in Germany. They've created a pretty cool looking flying car, air taxi, whatever you want to call it. Point is, it's been a sector where there's just been a ton of investment. Lots of different types of aircraft have been designed and tested, but none, I repeat, none have made it to market yet. But all of a sudden, there's a whole lot happening as we get closer to that point. So Joby Aviation, they've been at this since 2009. They announced they were going public in a $6 billion SPAC reverse merger this year. We have Vertical Aerospace out of Bristol in the UK. They just announced a $2 billion plan to go public. And then we have Archer, which is based out of Palo Alto. And they just announced a nearly $4 billion reverse merger to go public on the market back in February. And I wanted to have Archer on for a few reasons. One, they're the newest competitors to the game. They're less than a couple years old. But in that time, 
they have designed an aircraft, announced a billion-dollar order from United Airlines, and reckon that they can start air taxi services in just three years, 2024. That is very soon. They've already signed up um, two launch cities, Miami and Los Angeles. The second reason is that they're, perhaps not surprisingly, as you'll soon see, they're being sued by Whisk, Whisk Arrow, uh, which is their crosstown rival. They've been working in the field for a decade. They were spun out of actually a company called Kitty Hawk, which was funded personally for years by Larry Page at Google. And they claim that Archer basically showed up on the scene, hired a bunch of their best people, and convinced them to take a bunch of files with them and copy their plane design. Now, Archer has vehemently denied this. They say the whole thing is baseless, and they're now duking it out in court. And so I want to have Archer's founders on, Brett Adcock and Adam Goldstein, to talk about just how they have got so far so quickly, when others have taken a decade or more, and they now seem behind them. And now, a condition of them talking is that they would not talk about the case because it's an active legal matter. But I still wanted to kind of drill into just how these two dudes with no aeronautics backgrounds have pulled this off. Not least because this also has echoes, um, you may be thinking, of the self-driving car race. You know, a couple years back, Google and Uber went to war in court over a company called Auto that was started by the former engineering director at Waymo, Google's um, self-driving car company. And there are similar charges of theft of trade secrets and all kind of jiggery-pokery. So there's that. And this is also just a glimpse into the scrum that is happening in this big new technology waterfront. There's huge potential upside, you know, potentially world-changing potential, very high stakes, and lots of companies scrambling for the prize. Now, I am not, I repeat, I am not passing judgment. One way or the other on the legal case, there's still evidence being collected. It's far too early. But I just think this is a really fascinating look at an industry that is, pardon the pun, about to take off. Um, So last week, I drove down to Archer's HQ in Palo Alto to see the plane in question and to sit down with founders Brett Adcock and Adam Goldstein to talk about this wild ride that they've been on. Was this what was in the theater? Or yeah. The, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, so it was fully assembled here, and then they had to take it all down, drive it down to LA in like a million crates, right? reassemble it, and then do the same thing to bring it back. So it's like they just haven't put it all back together yet. But Right, 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 right. Wow. Yeah. Hey, man. How are we doing? All right, how are you? Thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. All right, yeah, no I'll leave you guys to it. You all want, right. You want anything? Water? Or? So this is very exciting because... Pre-pandemic, I never did podcasts on Zoom because it sucks. But then I was like, actually, this isn't that bad. This actually kind of works. And now this is my second interview in person post-pandemic. So this is very exciting. So thank you for having me to um, to your place. So I'm really interested in this in this world. Like I said before we started recording, we've had the guys from Lilium on. We had Mark Moore at, when he was back at Uber Elevate. I'd love to understand how you guys got involved because it's a really, really, really difficult technological challenge you're taking on. And so I'd love to just like understand how you, you've ended up where you are running 
I know we don't like to call them flying cars, EV toll company, but yeah, what's what's the story? Yeah, great. Well, thanks for uh, for having us on. So Adam and I's journey started uh, a little under 15 years ago. We met in New York and uh, we were interested in working on kind of harder engineering problems to make the world better. And uh, we've been building businesses together for the last 15 years now. We got excited about this space years ago. I think it's pretty clear, but throughout this next century, you know, we, we believe all forms of transportation will move to electric. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really just important theme in our in our life. And um, an area that we've been we've gotten more and more excited about by looking at, you know, there's been improvements the last, you know, several decades in electric power systems. Batteries have gotten better, motors have gotten better, and you're seeing now electrify everything on the ground. So you're seeing this massive wave of almost every car, big car manufacturer in the world has said announced massive plans to move to electric. Mm-hmm. Those same improvements have been uh, been continuing to a point where you can make um, basically an electric vertical takeoff on an aircraft. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just an important uh, enabler for us. When, when you move to an electric propulsion system, we feel we can build a new type of aircraft to um, help move people in and around cities. And you know we can do so in a fully sustainable manner. So what we're doing here is we're working on building an electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. And the reason we get so excited about this is we have a sustainability problem that we think we need to work on yeah. from a transportation perspective. And the second is, you know, there's a tremendous amount of people uh, throughout the world that live in cities. And, um, you know, we live in three dimensions and we travel every day on the ground and it's leading to unprecedented traffic congestion and problems on the ground. And uh, we view this new technology here that we're developing as a way to help kind of move people into the air really freely, travel fast, make people's lives better and help people move, you know, to a fully sustainable transportation solution. So, you know, Adam and I are at this, you know, we want to be at this for the rest of our lives. It's, uh, we, we, we devoted uh, our careers here to working on it at Archer. It's going to take a long time for us to have a meaningful impact on the world. Yeah. Um, but we have, you know, we think um, one of the best teams in the world here supporting us and um, some great investors and partners. And we feel really well equipped here to hopefully build a great business. But before you did this, you guys were in a completely different world, correct? Yeah. So when Brett and I started building businesses together, you know, we were really entrepreneurs at heart solving problems. And um, we started in software and we built a bunch of different things together and we failed a lot. And it taught us a lot of lessons in terms of what it takes and what makes a business work and what a good business looks like. And um, also helped us really hone in on businesses that we wanted to spend our careers on. Mm -hmm. And so the last business that we built um, was a it was called Vettery. It was a mission-driven business. We were helping people find jobs that they loved. And it had a really nice message to its core, uh, really hard problems to solve. And we had a, a great experience scaling that team and learning how to manage kind of big, big teams. But, you know, we had this big thesis around electrification of transportation. And so we wanted to figure out, you know, is this the right point in history hmm. where the key enabling technologies we're advanced enough to actually build and fly economically viable missions. So, you know, can we use batteries that exist today and electric motors that exist today and fly people on these missions that we think they're going to want to fly? We, we call it like a 30-mile nominal mission, um, these urban air mobility routes, and do that economically. And so we spent a lot of time understanding that. And so, you know, a lot of our roots in that journey went back to the University of Florida, where mm. Brett and I both went to school, we set up um, an EV tall lab there. And that lab was started off of 
Archer Road, which is the main road that goes through Gainesville, Florida. And so everyone called it the Archer Lab. That's yeah, we'll go to the, you know, go to the Archer Lab. And which ultimately, obviously, you know, the name of the company comes from. And so um, we started experimenting and building planes in all different types of configurations well, hold, and hold designs. On, hold on. So you have a recruiting company. Software business. Software business. <laughs> Software-based recruiting company. When does it, when did you sell that? So, um, you know, we launched the business and, um, you know, we came to an agreement with a, a company called the Deco Group in, uh, in 2017. Yeah, big and European. Ultimately, yeah, and ultimately yeah. sold it in, uh, in 2018. So you sold it in 2018. Yeah. I think the deal closed like the first month of 2018. Right. Right. So you're like, okay, cool. We've just done spent years in this world of software-based recruiting. Let's build an electric plane. Yeah. I mean, look, Brett and I have been, um, I think, building all different types of uh, you know products. I mean, we built e-commerce platforms, mobile application platforms, kind of things that really range the gamut. Yeah. And um, you know, when we started building things in hardware... You know, it was a, a space that we thought could have a, uh, you know, just a much larger impact on society than a lot of the stuff that we were doing. It was also a lot of fun. Hardware is really fun because you actually can see and touch and feel and hear your product. Rather, Hardware than is also hard, as they famously say. It is hard, but everything's hard. And yeah. so we didn't look at it as, man, which one's the easiest? We looked at is, you know, what can we build that where we can have the largest impact where... Uh, we can build a, you know, a really large company and we could do, you know, the most to impact, you know, society in a positive way. Um, and le- like, as I mentioned, we had Mark Moore on, who I believe now is an advisor for you guys, but this is when he was at Uber Elevate and he's, you know, he's been at this for 30 years trying to do this. And if you look at, there's a whole universe of companies now trying to do this, um, create kind of electric takeoff and landing, ultimately autonomous vehicles to get around traffic and all kinds of things. But if you look at them, the kind of form factor, if you will, they're all over the map. It feels like it's kind of in this phase where people are still trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way to build a flying, whatever, flying taxi. And so it's just, I'm curious because like most people, especially if you've had success would be like, well, I'll just do something ish in the same world. Do either or both of you have some deep, interest in aviation or like how did you end up being like you know we're going to take on this massively difficult problem where the experts in the field still haven't even figured out okay this is we've kind of figured out the basics here we know what we're going this is and there's a clear path to making it happen yeah i mean it's, it's a good it's a good good question i think uh i think a few things just i think are important to touch on here uh the first is the window of opportunity to build this is is really happening now on the back of uh, electric propulsion. It, what we're doing here would not really have been possible before 10, 20 years ago, just because yeah. battery energy density wasn't good enough to have enough energy to make these missions work in the vehicle. You know, I think what's important to make sure this works in a big way across cities, we have to make it low cost and low noise and right. high safety. And when you make the move from say piston engines to, to electric propulsion, you get to redesign a new type of aircraft from mm-hmm. scratch. And I think that that, that for us um, is really important. You, you touched on this. There's a lot of different aircrafts that look like a lot, lot yeah. differently. and um, Like flying hair dryers and everything else. I mean, there, it's, it's all over the place. All over the place. Yeah. So I think for us, we really take a step back and 
you know, I like to look at everything here in uh, first principles and first order and say, okay, we need to ultimately build a new type of service that can fit in and around cities and move people around really freely. In order to do that, being able to vertical take off and land is important. So we don't mm-hmm. have to drive to an airport and lose time. Uh, we need to be fully sustainable, which means, you know, we need to be fully battery powered uh, and, let you, and utilize electric propulsion for that. And then we ultimately need to have enough performance out of the aircraft where we can do a lot of trips per day. So it doesn't mm-hmm. really help us if we can fly somewhere and have to charge for a yeah. long period of time or only can take a certain amount of, you know, one or two passengers. We want to move a decent amount of folks off the ground into the air. So from from a physics perspective, we look at the problem and say, okay, we have a certain amount of total mass that we we need to build the aircraft with. A certain of that mass will be made up of fuel or batteries. In this case, we'll have a battery mass fraction. And then of that battery, we only have a certain amount of energy on board to to do, you know, your takeoff and landings, your hover, you know, uh, mission, and then your, our cruise mission. And I think important to that for us here is... We lower the power consumption in that equation as much as possible, which means we need to have as much disk area in the aircraft as mm-hmm. take off and landing. So we have as low power as possible. And then in cruise flight, we can cruise effectively in low power conditions. So that, that pushed us here to having 12 electric motors for both redundancy and also for hover performance and also pushed us to a fixed wing or high aspect ratio wing aircraft in order to basically uh, basically have high aerodynamic performance in the air. Right. And uh, you know that pushed us to a design that we think is uh, one of the most ideal in the space. It relates to this design space of you know noise, making sure it's yeah. super low over cities. Uh, it's safe, so we have redundancy in the in the aircraft system, which is important here. Uh, low cost, so moving to electric will help make that big step chain in cost, but also you know making sure the passenger experience there is really there, so we can take enough passengers every single day. So I think from our perspective, uh, we think there needed to be a group here that brought the right vehicle engineering uh, solution here to to uh, to the world. Um, in order to make sure that this could be a reliable service that in, in high, highly utilized for a mass market transportation solution. So Adam and I believed that, you know, we were the right team to go do this. And um, we've assembled. Uh, <laughs> well, man, well, I'm it, not like, not, but like, it's a huge prize and it's really, really difficult. Really difficult, yeah. And I mean, you don't have the kind of, and you're coming up from a software background. Yeah, I mean. Um, so it's, I, a, it's a big, it's a big thing to, to bite yeah. off. I think the way maybe we'll look at it is say just because something is so difficult doesn't mean so nobody should do it. I think yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we went into this understanding that there was low chances of success of building this business, but like this was important to make happen. Right. This this needs to happen, right? There's not a future where this shouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, and you know the way we we view it is we have to get the vehicle engineering stuff right. Like in order to, the technologies has to work and, and make it work. And we're, we're demonstrating that every day out here and we'll be demonstrating more and more to the world uh, over the next several years. Uh, so technology is really here. We put together what we believe is is the best team in the space across, you know, like a EV tall design, certification, manufacturing, just the supply chain across the board here. We have what we believe to be the kind of the, you know, the best team we could have assembled possibly. And, um, and then we have some great partners along the side. You know, we announced earlier this year United by uh, hmm. about a billion to a billion and a half dollars worth of aircraft. And then we have, you know, uh, announced earlier this year our intentions to go public through a SPAC, which gives us the balance sheet we need to make this happen. So, um, you know, those are all like important to make sure they line up in a nice Venn diagram to make sure you can make this happen. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean it will for sure happen, but I think we have the right recipe on the table to go out and make a real attempt to build a, what we think is going to be a really important business. So if we go back to Florida, to the Archer Lab, so you, did you set up this lab with your own funds, I would guess, post the sale of Vettery? 
Yeah, so Brett and I actually made a donation uh, gotcha. to the University of Florida and we funded the research. And so, you know, our thought process here was we wanted to provide a way for um, the research to be done, but also in a way that advances, you know, the academic benefits of the school mm. and the students. And, you know, one day provide ourselves with a really nice pipeline of talent. And, right. you know, the industry to date has largely been pretty R&D based mm -hmm. and pretty academic in nature. Yeah. And so one of our differentiators in setting up the business was we started the business with a commercial approach from the very beginning. So we said, instead of what's the max you can push all this technology, meaning yeah. speed range and payload, what's the most, you know, what's the plan you can build to go the furthest, the fastest, carry the most payload. We didn't approach it that way. We said, okay, where do we think the um, the biggest use case really is for this? And we think it's moving people around within these nominal missions of 30 miles. And so we said, okay, let's build a vehicle that can stay in the air for most of the day doing these 25, 30 mile trips. And just 30 miles is that, that presumably is based on some kind of average commute. Yeah. So we looked at how people are moving around like yeah. cities in and around these kind of urban environments today. And what you'll find is that, you know, these trips of, uh, you know, call it 25 to 30 miles can take, you know, people 60 to 120 minutes in the car. Yes. And I don't really see a good solution for that getting better. I think the the EVs on the ground is a really good way to help with sustainability, but it doesn't help with congestion. Yeah. And so, you know, this is an alternative mode of transportation now that will allow people to still do it in a sustainable way, but also help fly above the congestion. And so these traffic patterns that you can see, and, you know, we've now built a pretty robust um, you know, a system simulation kind of showing what the whole network will look like through mm -hmm. our project called Prime Radiant really helps us understand or helped us understand that the mission profile that we want to build for is this, you know, 30 mile mission, these urban air mobility routes. So what we did is we said, okay, now that we understand the mission profile, how do we build a vehicle that can be, you know, the most simple as possible that can get through certification and be mass manufactured from day one. And so it was a very commercial approach to a very challenging technical problem. But when you go at it from that perspective, it's very different than going at it from the perspective yeah. of let's try to build something that can go the furthest and the fastest out there. It's just a different perspective. And I think that put us in a, in a place where, you know, we look at our, our vehicle and we're really proud of it, but we also think it's the right vehicle choice for this mission. And so we think it gives us this, uh, you know, really interesting point in the marketplace that we have a vehicle that we think we'll be able to build the most of and get through certification the fastest because it was designed that way from day one. And so how many different iterations of the, you know, talking about the kind of different form factors, how long before you decided on this one? Because you, going back to 2018, you go, you start this lab, you start messing around, figuring out what works, what doesn't. When do you actually like form a company? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we started working on this in 2018. And throughout 2018 and 2019, we built and flew three generations of eVTOL aircraft down at the University of Florida. You built and flew three different... Yeah. I mean, these were, you know, prototype aircraft. So there were five. Did you actually get in any of these? And... Uh, no, they were all, they were, they were, they were all unmanned. But, but right. you know, listen, we designed these ourselves from, from the ground up. And um, we really learned a lot about the you know, the configuration choices that we were making and the physics right. that really uh, happened during hover and then transitioning to cruise flight right. and all of that. And it was just a really incredible experience for us. And I think along that journey, we really better understood how to build the right vehicle for this 
this is a really hard challenge. We're, we're building yeah. a lot of ways, you know, power lift helicopter, we're building an airplane, we're building something with electric components in it that's relatively new for aviation. We're doing all this while having a considerable amount of software. And, you know, we have a fly-by-wire uh, architecture. So in a lot of ways, the software will be a, a really large focus here internally and probably arguably the hardest thing to certify in the aircraft. So there's um, right. a big software component here. Uh, and then throughout 2019 is when we really designed from the ground up what is now the Maker aircraft and the right. configuration choice we have. So we've been working on that since 2019. We just unveiled a few weeks ago our Maker aircraft in L.A., um, and as, as you saw, you know, earlier today, we're uh, we're doing final integration there. And we'll do ground we'll do ground tests and bring up here very shortly. So mm -hmm. we're, we're excited to get that aircraft flying, learn more about the engineering choices we made across that aircraft and, you know, largely use that aircraft as a certification test bed with the uh, with the FAA. Which right. Is, which is going to be important for us. So I think it's, listen, a, a natural progression for us of learning and iterating, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, uh, it's been great, but like the reality is we have to, there's, we got to, there's a, there's a path to follow to make sure the physics work and we have our vehicle or business level requirements that we need to meet. So we need to carry enough pa payload, enough passengers, enough times throughout the day to make that work. And that means using energy very thoughtfully. It yeah. means having enough like load factor or people in the aircraft during those times and it makes sure that we can take people off the ground now that are traveling every day in cities into the air and be very thoughtful about that, right? And so we have to think, be thoughtful about where we put real estate, making sure we save people time in that journey of going to the aircraft, getting in it, taking it to where you're going, getting out, taking a car or walking or biking to where you're going. That trip needs to be shorter than a drive. And so we have to really be thoughtful about that. I had mentioned here in a minute ago, our data science project called Prime Radiant, but this is like one of the most comprehensive mode choice models we, yeah. we know of. And that's basically taking data and trip times that are happening every single day and better understanding how to move those folks today into the air and save people a lot of time. Right. And uh, there are millions of people like that in every city. So I think um, it's been a natural you know, evolution for us. It's obviously a very challenging industry that we yeah. um, you know, continue to you know, absorb and get up to speed on every single day. And, and we're you know, thankful to be surrounded by some of the, we think the best engineers here in the world that have devoted their lives to this, to this industry, to the spaces right. that they're looking in and whether it be batteries or EV tall design or certification. So uh, we couldn't be more proud of the, of the team we've assembled here. And those first few iterations you were talking about uh, in Florida, you're saying you guys designing those yourselves. I mean, are you project managing that? Like, how do you, because I'm like, if I had to, I don't know, create an app, I don't know anything about coding, but it kind of feels like you guys are in software. You're like, let's build a plane, <laughs> an electric plane. It's just like, it's quite an extraordinary leap to make, to be like, you know what, we're going to take on this massive challenge and build a company around it. Yeah, so, you know, some of the, the, the challenge of designing these aircrafts really revolve around, you know, you have this, you know, vehicle, you have to figure out how to get into the air, yeah. you know, with these these props, right? These, these discs that you're going to spin. Hmm. And, um, but then you also have to fly forward on a wing and get them out of the way so they're not draggy. Totally. And so a lot of the early experimentation goes around, okay, we need to get a certain amount of disc area on this vehicle, meaning like if you took like a helicopter and you do a circle around that rotor, like that they call, you know, we call disc yeah. area. We have to have a similar amount of disc area on this vehicle, yeah. right? But now we have that we have electric motors, you can scale down the motors and rotors. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to have one big one anymore. You can have multiple motors. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the question becomes, okay, well, where do you put them? And how do you align them and what type of configuration? 
And so you can, you know, align them parallel to the fuselage. You can spread them out, spread them out laterally across the wing. You can put them in lots of different places. Mm. And so there's a lot of experimenting that goes on with trying to figure out where to put them. And there's a lot of mistakes that we made by doing that. And you can't, you don't really know their mistakes necessarily until you build the plane and fly them and you see what all the problems that you got. So your balance there is you need enough disc area on this vehicle, then you have to get them out of the way so they're not too draggy for you in, yep. in forward flight. Which ultimately through the iterations, you know, of what Archer to um, tilting some of our rotors. And so, um, you know, if, if you look at our, our vehicle, you know, we have 12 motors spread out laterally across the wing, of which the six motors in the front tilt and the six aft motors are stationary. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what we've tried to do was balance complexity, meaning the more you tilt, the more things move, the more complex the vehicle is, balance that complexity with performance. So if you reuse your motor and tilt it, the same motor you use yeah. for lift as you use for cruise, you add some complexity to the system, but you have a less draggy vehicle. Right, so right, it can right. perform better. So a lot of this early experimentation is figuring out how this configuration is going to look. And we made a lot of mistakes doing that. And a lot of it's guessing in the beginning. You can make yeah. some smart guesses. Um, and then you start to study a lot of the industry and you look at what other groups have done and you try to guess why people did that. And you you know people put public stuff out there. So for example, Airbus Vahana has yeah. a, had a tilt wing. That was a different concept versus other groups have had, you know, two sets of propulsion systems and, you know, other groups fully tilt everything. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what we tried to do was think about this balance of performance versus complexity, find that sweet spot and um, keep pushing to figure out where that is. And that's kind of how the journey really began. And do you have presumably some kind of team of aeronautics engineers helping you kind of realize the vision. I mean, yeah, in the, in the early days, it was Am and I, like trying to, you know, I was like the pseudo chief engineer and we were working through this stuff and now we have- But that's bananas, great... you're not an aer- aeronautics engineer. I mean, because I'm, I'm, yeah. my dad's a pilot and I know all, all the kind of stuff you, you, he had to study. Yeah, through. I mean, you take the step back. I mean, this is just not, uh, there's not, there's not just the aerodynamics component here. Yeah, and yeah. there's the, there's the flight control software side, the avionics side, there's the structure side, there's the manufacturing yeah. side. So it, this is a multidisciplinary challenge here. And, totally. um, you know, we have people here today that are just experts overall yeah. in that field. But the, you know, the first few years for us was a big learning curve and getting that up there. And it was, it was I think it made us stronger as founders here. Year too, yeah. uh, better understanding how to come up with the right solutions to the problems. And, you know, as Adam mentioned, like we've been trying to balance this very complex design space mm. as best we could and try to bring the, the correct commercial vehicle to market. And I think we, I think we've figured that out. And I think the now for us is to really make sure that we can get that, those choices through a certification program that's yeah. really robust. And we feel best as we could possibly be going into that, which is, is going to be important for us designing around safety as our number one goal. Yeah. And then designing through manufacturing. Like we need to make a lot of vehicles. Like even if we can get certified and, and make the right engineering choices, if we can't make enough vehicles, this all doesn't work. Right. Get more of the Times and the Sunday Times for less than a pound a day. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley to start your free trial. That's once again, thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley so that they know I sent you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And so did you guys, at some point, you decide on this design. Did you raise outside venture capital or like how does that work like in terms of the company formation and actually getting off the ground if I can use a... Very yeah, I mean, so um, so Adam and I were, were relatively fortunate in our careers. So pr- prior to starting this, we started a, a software company, and we had a successful exit of that of that business prior to Archer. So Adam and I, for the first few years, we self funded that whole business. Yeah, and um, it put us in a fortunate position to kind of really you know get a high conviction on the idea, really mm. spend a lot of time on the project, and really understand the engineering constraints and everything else. And then one of the the first real person to take a, a real bet on us was was Mark Laurie. So Mark um, is the founder of Jet.com, sold to Walmart. Diapers.com as well. Um, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, diapers to Quidzy to, to Amazon. How did you and, meet Mark Laurie? Yeah. So we were um, in New York and I actually cold emailed Mark. <laughs> I just listened to one of his podcasts and, uh, you know, Mark was talking a lot about going through the acquisition process at you know, um, at Amazon with yeah. diapers and his frustrations and positives. And I, you know, I wrote Mark and said, you know, I'd love to grab coffee and, you know, going through a lot of the same stuff here in our acquisition and love to talk with you. And Mark immediately said, we should go grab coffee. And when we met, the, one of the first things I said is like, I'm, I'm working on this new project. I think I'm going to do it for, for a really long time. And Mark's like, I agree with you. I want to invest in the business. I want to help you guys out. That first and coffee, he said that. First coffee. And um, so, uh, you know, we, Adam and I got to know Mark a lot better uh, over yeah. the next several months. And Mark ended up, you know, basically leading our seed round. So Adam and, Adam and I put a considerable amount of capital in with Mark, but Mark basically was the was the only one in our our first round of capital. And, you know, even even to this day, Mark's one of our, is, is our largest outside investor kind of here pre-SPAC. Oh, wow. So he's been a tremendous asset for us, not only just coming in and helping us, you know, backstop the business and help us out in the early days, but Mark's an incredible entrepreneur that's had yeah. so much success scaling businesses up and people and everything else and recruiting. So, you know, one of our big goals last, even last couple of years and still is today is making sure we have the right people in, in the organization here aligned and um, and culturally, you know, incentivized here to really help build a great business. So um, Mark's been a key partner for us along the journey. We've obviously picked up other investors that are, you know, some of which have backstopped me and Adam in prior ventures and mm. some new. And then earlier this this year, we announced we'd go public through a SPAC with yeah. Atlas Crest. And we announced the $1.1 billion capital raise. And um, it's an important inflection point for us where we now have enough capital to get to market, cash flow break even, and, you know, do like you mentioned before, hardware is hard. Yeah. And uh, it's not only just hard, it's very capital intensive, long timeline. So um, so here, you know, capital is really important uh, for us. And we couldn't be more excited about, um, you know, the, the people that backs up us along the way. 
what was the process of getting because united has invested correct yes and they've also agreed to be i think your first customer is that yes. right yes so how did you how did that come about yeah so taking this product to market i think um involves you know it's 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 complex for obvious reasons from yeah. the technology but there's the whole operational side and the consumer um, acceptance side and you know the policy side of things when you're you know a, a new mode of transportation especially one that flies and flies over you know cities and so um, we really look to you know position archer in a way that could not only just have a great piece of technology but could also gain the trust of the public and also help make us operationally you know really efficient and um, you really learn from a lot of the safety lessons that you know some of these other groups out there have done and so, um, you know, we talked to a bunch of different groups out there. One of the first partners that, you know, we uh, met was Stellantis, which is the recent merger from Fiat Chrysler and uh, Peugeot. So to form they one of the actually, largest. That's called Stellantis. That passed me by Stellantis. Okay. Yeah, it's called ridiculous. Stellantis now. That's a ridiculous name. But anyway. That's... Yeah, it's the, it's the um, I think it's the third largest auto OEM, yeah. you know, now it's, it's so it's a. It's a big company. It's a, it's a, a great company, and they really had this vision of understanding the you know multiple modes of transportation that could mm. all go electric, and the benefits that we could have by partnering with them, and um, you know helping us think through you know our ability to mass manufacture high scale composites and figuring out how to you know bring our costs down as you're scaling up mm. you know, these businesses through their supply chain. And so they were a really great partner that understood the vision where we kind of aligned with them from that perspective. And so they proved to be a really great partner. They're also a investor in the business too. And then um, on the other side of things where we thought about operations, we said, okay, well, you know, we really want to think about, you know, the number one priority for this business is safety. And so, um, you know, United Airlines brand really stands for safety. That's yeah. probably like the most important asset like that they have. You know, when you see a plane out there with a United logo, you don't say, oh, is that a A320 or what? You yeah, say, yeah. oh, that's a United plane. That, yeah. that means it's safe. And so they were a really great national partner for us to team up with. Um, and it also really kind of balanced both of our priorities as well. So not only is it great for us that, you know, we could learn from, you know, one of the, you know, the greatest airline out there, but also for them, there was really big benefits. So they have an agenda um, internally to really try to decarbonize the skies. And mm. so there's, it's tough to do that in a substantial way. So this was a way, one, one of the ways um, that they could do that was to partner with Archer. It was the first major significant investment in the space, like from an airline. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and when they, they invested, did you guys have a plane, like a prototype built yet? Yeah. So we were in the process of, uh, you know, building maker maker has been in, you know, different stages. Mm. And so, um, you know, we had different subscale versions of that and, you know, we hadn't unveiled the full scale version of that yet. Um, but you know, that was a very far along yeah. um, in its design process. And so, um, you know, we talked to them about what the product could look like and how it could help them. It also from, a their existing product, you know, the, their, their airline, it helps defrictionize travel for their travelers. Yeah. Right. So if you think about, you know, the airlines are trying to move people and if you can defrictionize travel along the way to help people get to the airport, right? If you think about flying on a plane, it's actually a pretty decent experience now. Yeah. But everything that leads up to that experience Sucks. is bad, right? The yeah. trip to the airport, the airport itself, all that's the food, yeah, all the delay, yeah, all that stuff is just is brutal. But this helps, you know, kind of get rid of a lot of those problems. So it's great for their core product too. Um, and there's a lot of other tactical things for them too that make a lot of sense. Like and one other example, you know, is around like their pilots. So like, you know, as the... Um, you know, the big pilot fleet largely comes from, you know, the military and there's not a lot of way to diversify um, what you get. So this is a product that they can now have um, in their fleet where they can attract new, younger pilots um, to mm. their company that it can train on much 
easier to fly airplanes and um, grow up within the United family and really start to add diversity into their pilot pipeline. And so, um, you know, lots of different tactical things like that, that really aligned. So we aligned really well from a mission perspective. It helped fill our needs and it helped fill their needs. So it turned out to be- How did you guys find each other? So, um, you know, we talked to a lot of the different aerospace folks. And mm. I think a lot of the, the aerospace companies are very curious about what we're doing. Everybody feels like electric could potentially shift you know, into yeah. this new golden age of aviation and everybody's trying to figure it out. So reaching out to the airline folks, I'm not sure who reached out first in that case, right. um, but everybody's very willing to talk because everybody wants to understand what's happening. And so um, also, I'm not sure if you saw United also just announced a, a venture fund where they're going to be investing in new, you know, mm. you know, technology. So that like, you just haven't seen this new wave of no. aviation innovation in a long time, right? So everybody is it's on the tips of their tongues. Right. And so what's, so we're 2021 now. We just were in your kind of, I guess, your workshop with kind of the plane and pieces and whatnot. How long will it be from going from that to seeing your planes or somebody else's flying taxis, whatever you want to call them, actually out there in the world? Yeah, that's a good. I know, I know that's like a kind of an impossible question to answer because a huge part of it's a regulatory question. But. Yeah, for sure. And listen, our, our roadmap was to assemble what we think is. Um, the right team, the right you know engineering requirements, and then build basically the full capabilities, uh, a vehicle that can demonstrate the full capabilities of electric vertical takeoff and landing. And mm. that's maker for us here. And we're going to use that as a, you know, a certification test bed to help advance our key enabling technologies here internally. And we're we're excited to have that here. The next step for us is to bring a real certified product to market that you're talking about. And yeah. we've chose to, to launch here in the United States and federally the airspace is regulated by the FAA yep. and we need to go through what they call a type certification process and get our type certificate for an aircraft in order to fly it. So what we are doing now is designing an aircraft, which looks almost identical to Maker in a lot of ways, with the FAA that we will introduce into the market in 2024. So our timeline here is a multi-year timeline to design around safety and demonstrate those safety benefits with the FAA in order to hit our hit our goal of, you know, making this a reality for those city in these cities in 2024. So, you know, we're looking at three or so years, maybe a little over three years. And um, we are now kind of fully immersed in that whole process of going mm. through there and designing around those requirements and showing means of compliance, those requirements. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be 2024 is also, you know, not very far away. It's no. like, um, so we've announced early this year, we'd partner with both Miami and LA as our first two launch cities. We like those cities in part because they're they're large and have a lot of traffic problems. Yep. But they also have a lot of existing real estate. So there's a lot of places to put, you know, landing sites. A lot of these cities already have a lot of helicopter landing sites and airports that we can already land on with existing infrastructure. They're very pro to bring in new technologies like this to help with, you know, transportation issues like this and sustainability. Yeah. And so we're really excited to have those two here on the docket. And we're um, now heads down. Uh, and building and we'll be, you know, we'll be flying every week and we'll be, you know, keeping the public overall updated on our timeline. Um, right. But, you know, there's, there's a lot to do for us, but I think it's, we think it's really possible. I mean, the window of time opened up where the overall kind of key enabling technologies to make this work are matured enough, mm. um, mostly around batteries and electric propulsion, those areas. Uh, and certification is is here now. I think what a lot of folks don't really understand here in the U.S. is, you know, we're certifying under Part 23, which is what, you know, the FA certifies for uh, airplanes today. So mm -hmm. we're certifying similar to how an airplane is certified. And there's only a couple 
big differences. One is on the electric motor side, and the second is the vertical lift. We're taking off and landing vertically. But those are pretty well understood at this point. And so the FAA has rules and guidelines to certify this. They made changes in 2017 to allow for this. We have about 50 people at FA working on our project, and we're, you know, every week, every day talking to the FA and working with them on designing that aircraft for a certified product. Right. And so does that vehicle in there does, I mean, obviously not right now, but has that flown? Does that fly? Um, so yeah, actually a lot of people at the event were like, is that, that's not the real vehicle, right? That will fly. And, uh, it actually, yeah, it actually is the real vehicle that will fly. It's the same one. What we're doing now is the work in order to get it to fly safely. And we're, and what we're doing here is we're doing final integration. We'll do bring up and ground testing, and then we'll start first hover flights this year, later this year. Uh, we'll first start by, so it hasn't come off the ground yet. Hasn't come off the ground yet. Yeah. We, I mean, what we'll do is a multi-month process for, uh, integration and testing and work to make sure we have the safest flight test program possible. Um, we'll start with just hover flights and then we'll slowly transition the vehicle to forward flight and expanding the flight envelope from there. So it'll be, you know, we'll be flying every single day of that vehicle and it'll be important. I mean, we're going to learn a lot about the configuration choices we made and the engineering yeah. choices and system architectures and component decisions, but we're starting the work now to, to gear up to be flying every single day. And how difficult is it to get talent because you know as you say you need a certain type of skill to be able to build these things and all of a sudden when we had mark moron a couple years ago he's like this is like a new kitty hawk era like there's dozens of companies working on the same problem now and there's only so many people who can do it and i know i mean we're not going to talk about the lawsuit but you guys are being sued by Wiscaro, et cetera, because a lot of those people who are there are now here but is it hard to find the people to work on this well, I think what's challenging is that there's a new type of engineer that's kind of been born, right? Like mm. Brett mentioned, you know, you need rotorcraft people that have understand vertical lift. You need, you know, people that understand fixed wing aircraft and you need people that understand big electric, you know, components. So I think that's what's challenging. And so there are a couple companies that had previously, you know, over the last decade had been working on, you know, in this industry. So there were some of those engineers. And so, you know, for example, um, Tom Munez and Jeff Bauer, our, our COO and, and chief engineer, you know, have been working in this space for a long time, uh, you know, almost a decade. Yeah. And so, um, you know, those two guys coming to Archer, I think was a pretty big deal in the industry because yeah. that, that was two guys, you know, one that was you know, senior guy running one program, the other one, senior guy running another program coming together to say, hey, we we think we can actually commercialize a vehicle here. Mm. And um, if anybody in the industry is interested in doing that, come join us. And so, right. um, you know, there was a really big sort of, I'll call it like signaling effect to the world that, wow, these are two like well-known people yeah. coming together in the industry. And so the ball started rolling from there. Mm. And so it's definitely hard um, to attract people in general to, uh, you know, to the industry, but this is the most exciting thing happening in aerospace. It is really exciting. Yeah. So pretty much all of the aerospace engineers are fascinated by what's going on here. And so I think a lot of the, uh, you know, the industry players look back and say, okay, you know, I, I come out of college, I can go work on, there's some, you know, traditional helicopters or go work at, you know, Boeing, or I go work at Airbus. And then there's this like new startup age in aviation yeah. that we haven't really seen before, right? It's hit almost every other industry, but there's not like a lot of startup aerospace companies. Yeah. And so now here's a chance to do that. And so these are young, fun companies that are, you know, just different. And so I think that's actually helped attract a lot of talent in general now within the industry to these companies, to these EVTOL companies. 
And then of course, there's always the competition between the companies and everybody has something a little bit different, you know, to offer. But I think at Archer, you know, what we've shown is that, you know, we have a, a pathway to getting our type certificate and getting to market. We have really strong partners. We have really great leaders. And I think that's an attractive package that people really want to come be a part of. I think we've also just taken an approach to a, a mission that people can believe in and get behind. Right. And there's a lot of people that have a real big belief in sustainability and uh, sustainable forms of transportation and that. I think that's really exciting to people. And on the on the the launch event, why do it now? Because and the reason I'm asking that is because like I'm I've been covering a lot of we mentioned it before electric vehicles. There's been a boom, just like what's happening in EV tools, and a lot of companies are coming out and then proving later to be like, well, we don't actually have the goods, you know, but they've gone public, raised a bunch of money, et cetera. Why not wait till you have a flying vehicle or, you know, I've seen a lot of videos of other companies flying over countryside or whatever. Why come out now? Was this part of the SPAC process to kind of educate the world about what is coming and what you're planning or why now before you have something that actually flies? I'll give a two second version. I'll pass over to Brett to give his version because <laughs> I know he'll want to comment on that too. I think for, at least for me, we, I think we wanted to put out a foundational piece that sort of, you know, mm. no matter where we were in a capital raising or whatever cycle that we were in, wanted to put a foundational piece out there that said, you know, hello world, here's what we're doing. Here's what we believe in. Here's the start of this, you know, public facing, you know, kind of mission. And we wanted to put that message out there. And so it was a really good opportunity for us mm. to do that. It happens to be, you know, timing, you know, wise just because of the SPAC, but it's not related to that. It was more of our introduction, I think, to the world in a big way where we had something we were really proud of, that we'd worked really hard on, you know, for many years to show off. But Brett, I don't want to let Brett answer that too. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's like, um, all right, you have your, you don't have a vehicle, now you have a vehicle, but it doesn't fly and you know, you're flying, but it's not a certified vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's certified. You're not, you know, you're not, it's not a mass market transportation system yet. So it's, it's funny. We're just in this, you know, we're relatively early stage in a very important disruptive technology. So, you know, I think for, I just echo what Adam said. I think we want to, we wanted to get the vehicle out there. We want to tell a story what it can do. From there, we're going to be doing flight tests. We'll be working on a certified product. We'll be working through manufacturing. There's a lot of milestones here for us. Mm. And the goal is just to be completely transparent from the beginning right. and let the world just follow what we're doing. And, um, you know, what we set out to do is hard. We're not trying to act like it's not. And uh, we thought the event a couple weeks ago was, was a really important milestone for us to get it to get our to get our voice out and tell people why why we're doing this like why are we building electric aircraft and why it matters and then you know what we think this can help fix and solve and um you know for us we're, we're in this forever like we're in this for, for decades yeah, so yeah. um you know we it was the first big public uh appearance for us there will be more and we would love everybody to be rooting for us and maybe even helping join us uh, for this long, long mission we're on, on how to, you know, build a new transportation service. And why'd you guys do it in Hawthorne of all places? So let me give you one more comment too, yeah, yeah. just sort of like almost, you know, echoing like the excitement, I think that not just people in the industry have that outside that industry. So that was the first big like public event, like we've yeah, done yeah. like that. That event across all of our channels has over 20 million views. Mm. I mean, it just had mass appeal. And so I think the world wants this product to come. The world yeah. is really excited for it to, to come out there. And so, um, you know, that was just almost like, in our view, like evidence that 
the world is rooting for us. And, and as Brett said, you know, we want it to be transparent. So, so why Hawthorne? So, um, Los, the city of Los Angeles is, uh, you know, one of the cities we've identified mm. as one of our early launch cities. So we've announced, um, LA and Miami as our two launch cities. Yeah. And so, um, you know, LA is, you know, obviously has a, a lot of traffic. LA has also set up, you know, specific groups to help think about new sustainable transportation solutions. Mm. So they have a really pro environment to, yeah. to, to launch there. Uh, very supportive. And so it was a city that we wanted to, you know, really kind of show it off and, and bring it there. You know, we talked a little bit about it in the presentation, you know, that hangar that we did it in is actually like a pretty iconic place. It's actually like the original headquarters of Jack Northrop. You know, it's a place where, you know, many early iconic aircrafts were, you know, kind of pioneered there. And so it was actually a really cool place. It was, it was special for us. Um, but we really wanted to make sure that, you know, we could bring, obviously COVID made, you know, the whole event challenging, but we wanted yeah. to do it in a place that was a, you know, important launch city that we were uh, bringing the product to market with. And just, um, I know we've talked a lot of uh, kind of around it, but the actual product itself, because what I, do, I think people don't quite understand is, you know, it kind of looks funky, but this is quite different and can offer some things that like, you know, a helicopter, for example, can't. So I don't know if there's like, if you could just briefly describe why this is a thing, what is it going to do that will surprise people and why this is potentially, why there's so many companies trying to crack this nut? Yeah. So the industry is at a point in time where the key enabling technologies have been advanced, meaning batteries, batteries and electric right. motors. Yeah. And largely that's a result of the autos. They've yeah. just pushed it, you know, really far and it's enabled, you know, aerial mobility, right? Mm -hmm. So like electric aerial mobility. So you can, you can fly these vehicles now and, you know, all electric powered. And the benefits you get from that, which I mentioned earlier, is that you can you know you can scale down these motors, which you can't do with piston piston or combustion engines. They're just not efficient when you do mm. that. And so you have this new category of products that are enabled, and you get three huge benefits that come out of this, and they're around cost, safety, and noise. So these electric vehicles have seventy to eighty percent less parts, which yep. means lower maintenance, which means lower total cost which means lower maintenance means higher utilization. So you can start to drive the cost you know, dynamic in a way that be becomes affordable. If you, can if you can highly utilize these vehicles, then all of a sudden you know, they can become more affordable because you can spread out the cost mm. over a larger group of people. So if you have an affordable product that lots of people can use, I think nobody is sitting there saying, oh, I enjoy 90 minutes of traffic. Wow, I can't wait to just <laughs> sit there and do nothing, right? Yeah. I don't think anyone's saying that. So everybody wants the product you know, to be out there. I think the second one, you know, around the safety side is because these vehicles are highly redundant, they're super different than the previous class of vehicles, you know, helicopters, which had, you know, much less or I guess much higher safety concerns. Yes, yes. So, you know, lots of single points of failure, um, lots of what they call critical components that are, uh, you know, make those vehicles more dangerous. So this safety element really changes the game where you can now certify these vehicles at similar levels to commercial airliners. And then finally is noise. So you have this ability to create a vehicle that is virtually silent while flying overhead. Mm. And so there's a lot of dynamics into, you know, why that is the case. But, you know, it's a category thing that we all benefit from, cost, safety, and noise. And um, it's the reason why I think we all believe that this new urban air mobility industry is going to be a large thing. And um, it's a benefit that I think will, again, help sustainability and help relieve congestion, you know, because right. of those dynamics. So I have two questions and I'll let you guys yeah. go. One is, so why did you guys come out here to do this? Because you were kind of East Coast based, right? Until doing your previous businesses and then in Florida. Why come out here to do this? 
Yeah, I mean... Um, the most expensive place in America. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly expensive. I mean, we were in New York before, and New York was expensive. Yeah, true, and true. we're like, okay, we're going to move out inside of New York. It's going to be less expensive. Yeah. And no, not really, right? So, um, no, I mean, like, like, like to be really upfront, we, we want to build a big business, and talent is really important. And mm. um, you, we basically think we have the, some of the best talent in the world here uh, in a really short period, uh, really short distances from wh- where we're at today. Aerospace talent, software talent, recruiting, hiring, accounting, finance, mm. basically across the board to build build a big business. And, you know, the, the primary focus for us the next several years will be hiring, just bringing on the right people here in the organization right. and scaling up. And uh, we knew that we couldn't build, you know, a next great aerospace company out of Manhattan. That doesn't make sense. And you know, being here in the Bay Area here allows us to attract, we think, some of the world's best talent and, uh, and, ha- and have them here. You know, we, over time, we'll have more locations and other areas for things like manufacturing and and such. But, um, you know, we're couldn't be more excited about moving out here several years ago and assembling this team now. And, um, you know, I, I think I think it's just, you know, talent and bringing the right people in here has been a very strong focus for us since, yeah. since day one. I mean, you, you go, I mean, we spend a lot of our time even just trying to bring in the right, right folks and, uh, and making sure we can really align them and make sure we keep people happy and, and keep people focused. And I think, um, you know, this offers a ability for us to hire some of the best engineers in the world. I mean, we're close to some of the biggest, biggest, you know, companies in the world, both hardware and software being out here. Right. Where's this, where's this built? Where is this, the plane itself built? Where was it built? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, all over the place. We some of it are some of it some of it uh, here internally, but yeah. we have components, you know, all across the all across the world. Right. We uh, have done almost all the software, uh, flight control software, and, and other various software ourselves internally. We're building our own batteries and motors here now. You know, the carbon fiber composite was done with a partner of ours here on the West Coast. I, I think largely we're focused on for the aircraft of really owning the key enabling technologies, and that for us is. Vehicle design, uh, the work there, software, both on flight controls and, and avionics, electric propulsion and uh, electric power systems, so basically batteries, electric motors, and uh, manufacturing and, and simulation. Those are areas that we, we really focus a lot of time on and spend a lot of internal focus on making sure we do really well because we think it'll be important long term for us to um, to basically make big strides in those areas. And lastly, if we get a crystal ball out, let's go to 2030, Miami in 2030, or let's LA because I know LA, I have friends there and I know what the traffic's like. What does LA look like in 2030 in terms of what you guys are doing there? Yeah, well, it would be wonderful to say that there are tens of thousands of vehicles yeah. flying around carrying everybody, but I think there will certainly be an adoption period um, you know, that takes place. And so a lot of that will, will just be simply the limit, the limitations of groups like Archer and our ability to produce aircraft. So, you know, when we look today, you know, we see LA has, you know, 50 million daily trips of which 5 million take longer than an hour um, in the mm. car. And so you have 5 million people that are driving an hour. It's brutal, right? So yeah. what percent of those could we move to the air where they can fly in, you know, these routes that are five to 10 minutes? And the answer is probably a decent amount of those. Now, you know, what we're hopeful, you know, is that there'll be a product that's available to as many of those people as possible, where we can, um, you know, start to change the way people think about, you know, living and commuting and hopefully change the way that society really, you know, operates. Like you don't, you don't have to live in a certain place anymore if you can commute there in five minutes. The reason why we live where we live generally has to do with closeness to society. The same thing with our ability to explore. And so, you know, 20 miles outside of LA is just some incredible, incredible Mm -hmm. landscapes. 
But, uh, you know, we generally don't go out into the desert and do stuff out there because, you know, it takes a while to get out yeah. there and there's not a lot of infrastructure built out there. But imagine if there was. And so, you know, we like to think about a world where there's really incredible experiences that lots of people can go out and enjoy and explore that go beyond just commuting, um, that go beyond, you know, stuff that's like daily, daily, you know, daily grind kind of stuff and enable these exploration trips that will just help people like enjoy life more, make right. life more fun. And I think that's what the product can do that goes beyond commuting. And that's like what we get excited about. And that's what we really try to push the brand on is that, um, you know, that these vehicles can be used, you know, to really just enhance life outside of just pure commuting trips. Did either of you envision building a plane or building a plane company when you were kids? Doesn't everybody? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. And my dad's a pilot, but I don't know. Was that like a thing for either of you? I, I think for me, you know, the way I've thought about, you know, just things in general is I actually think most things are hard. I think like, you know, waiting tables is hard. Painting houses is hard. Building software is hard. Building hardware is hard. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to do it, make it count. And right. so this was an ambitious project that we could sink our teeth into, dedicate our lives, dedicate our careers to it, and have a big impact in society. And so I think it's something that, you know, once we understood what was possible, once we kind of tasted that, mm. there was no turning back. Right. Same for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think, you know, what's one thing working on hard problems to make the world better? Like, that's, I think it's important. But also, like, I think it's important to be waking up to a world that's exciting and inspiring. And, uh... We have a chance to go do that here, right? We have the right team and capital and partners, and it's just um, just an unbelievable adventure. So, um, yeah, we're wake up every day super excited about what we're doing, and it's, I think it's a future we all want to happen. So yeah. let's go do it. Amen. Well, I wish you luck. Thank you guys for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Brett and Adam for taking the time to sit down, and thank you all for listening as ever for giving all those glorious ratings and reviews. And every once in a while, those nice little uh, tips in the ACAST tip jar, which are always gratefully received. And that is it. Uh, like I said, I am not writing for the paper next week, but I am podding. So expect your normal service. We've got a really interesting, fun one for you. So do keep your eye out for that. And in the meantime, you know, maybe I don't have to say stay safe, stay sane anymore, but I still will. Stay safe, stay sane. Um, we're not out of the woods yet, but we're getting there. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Want more out of this podcast? Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley to read articles based on these interviews broader discussions of the topics covered here, and of course, the amazing work of all my colleagues across the rest of the paper, all for less than one pound a day. Start your free trial now by going to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley.